So Lord, we do, we thank you. We thank you, God. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing. And Lord, we just acknowledge that you're up to something in the earth right now. We acknowledge it. We say that you're up to something right now. You're on the move. You're doing things that are beyond our ability to ask or even hope for or even imagine, Lord. And we just say that we want to step in to what you're doing. We want to be alive to it. We want to have hearts to expect it, Lord. We want to lean in towards heaven and say, let your kingdom come and your will be done right now on earth. Lord, as it is in heaven, Father, would you just captivate us, Lord, stir hunger in us, deposit something in us, Jesus, that's going to do something unique, it's going to burst something beautiful. God, we just say that you're alive and well. You're alive and well. You're moving. You're moving, God. You're moving in this room. You're moving in our hearts. You're moving through us, God. You're moving in our city. You're doing great things. But we thank you, God. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus. Grab a seat. Don't go anywhere, band. Stay right. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm emotional, man. There's something happening in the earth right now. I don't know if you've been aware of what's going on at Asbury College or have followed it, and, but there's this thing that's the love of God is hovering over the people of God. And you know, like revival is always the same and is always unique. And there's always an expression of the heart of God. When you look throughout history, like these big explosions of the, of the presence of God that disrupt cities, disrupt nations, there's always a theme. You can kind of look back and God is doing a, a, a similar thing everywhere that he's moving. And, and, and this, this kind of birthing of a move of God that's happening in our country right now is all about receiving his love. It's about the hovering love of God, just the, the grace of God, the love of God. And I was, you know, it's interesting because I was watching a clip of the Joe Rogan podcast hanging with me. <clears throat> and he was interviewing, in this clip, he was interviewing this guy who was, had been an atheist for his entire life. <laughs> and he was, so the title said, Atheist for 58 Years Confesses Jesus on Joe Rogan Podcast. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, watch, I'll give that a gander. <clears throat> and so this guy who is a conspiracy theorist, okay? <laughs> like, I'm not that guy. So I'm, I'm not on that team but believes all the crazy stuff. And, and maybe you're there and bless you, but I'm not there. And so he's like, I've studied all of these different conspiracy theories. I've studied, you know, 9-11. I've studied, you know, like JFK, all the big ones. He goes, but I realize the one that I haven't studied is, is religion. And he said something very interesting. He said, I have two people that work for me that love Jesus, but they never pushed it on me, but I always knew what they believed. And if I asked the question, they would always answer it with love and clarity. He goes, so I guess I'll start there. So he starts studying 
Christianity through the lens of, I'm a conspiracy theorist, I'm going to expose how this has trapped and duped all of these people. And you watch this guy and, and he starts sharing and he goes, as sure as I believe anything, I have to now tell you, Joe Rogan, as millions of people are listening, that Jesus is the son of God. And he starts sharing the gospel like with clarity and F-bombs. It was the weirdest. <laughs> it was so weird. Like I was like, this is so strange, right? Like this. Like he's talking about the CIA killed JFK and G in the same sentence, Jesus and F you and, you know, and I'm like, what am I watching? And just the spirit of God hit me and said, I will not be mocked on the earth. I will not be mocked on the earth. And we've been believing for a move of God. And just as it seems like culture can't get any crazier. Things can't get any weirder. God's like, no, okay, I'm gonna start that crazy conspiracy theorist. I'm gonna meet him. And he's gonna become an evangelist on Joe Rogan podcast. Talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it look it up. Don't watch Joe Rogan, but watch this. Crazy. And then and th that was like a, two weeks ago. And then God's doing this thing at Asbury College where it's just students just coming together and they're just worshiping. Like nothing's happening but worship. It's just like there's this, and you feel it, man. We had Jesus hour and there was just like a sweetness in it. And then even this morning, like I couldn't, I couldn't even sing because I was just like tears just welling up in my eyes. There's just like a sweetness in the presence of God that he's just doing something unique. And I think it's always important that as followers of Jesus, that we stay aware of what God is doing. That we don't just like keep doing what we wanna do. Like we say like, hold on, all right, God, you're doing something unique. I wanna jump in that river. I wanna jump in that river. I don't have the need to make my own river. It's like, no, I wanna jump in that river. And there's something that God is doing right now in revealing his love to his people. And the thing that I feel is just his pleasure. That he loves his church. He loves you. He loves the people that have stood for truth, who have not wavered from what the Bible says is right, regardless of what culture begins to tell us is right, and he's breathing. He's breathing on his church, and I just wanna say, expect the unexpected this week. Expect the unexpected. Expect the hovering love of God to interrupt you when you're at work. Expect the hovering love of God to interrupt you when you're driving in your car, to interrupt you when you're having conversations with people, to interrupt you at life group. And then when he interrupts you, don't run past him. Stay there. Stay with him. Because we need him. Amen? We need him. We need his presence. We need his love. We need his grace.
kind of in response to all that God's doing, we're, we're going to be jumping in with something that I want to invite you to be a part of it. Got a ton of more details, but February 27th through March 1st, we're going to be joining um, the Antioch movement. If you're new to Antioch, we're a part of a movement of churches. It's about 50 Antioch churches around the country and hundreds around the world. And as a movement, we're all going to be fasting February 27th through March 1st and saying, God, we, we want to say no to one thing to say yes to the main thing. And I want to encourage you to fast from something. Food, we'll have so many things that you can learn about and read about and all that kind of stuff coming up next week. But media, sometimes media is harder than food. Put your cell phone in a drawer for three days. You'll meet God. <laughs> You'll meet him. Like, I, like I, one of my kids lost their cell phone. I was, I, I was like, Wow. It, like, turned into a crack addict, you know? He's like, oh, daddy, don't do me. You know, I mean, he's. <laughs> but fast from something. Because you know what fasting does? Fasting reveals to us hunger. And then we can take that hunger and we can begin to channel that into hunger for more of the spirit of God. Because what have we been talking about? I am the bread of life, Right? so that now we can come to Jesus, the bread of life, and allow him to fill the longing and the hunger in our souls. And I, I don't think it's coincidence that this fast is happening at this time when God is doing what he's doing in the earth. I think God has set us up in a divine setup to step into more of than we can even ask, hope, or imagine. Amen? So next week, pencil it in, 27th through the 1st. We're going to be fasting together. There's going to be some things you can jump in with and, and be a part of. Let me just pray, and then we're going to try to preach. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your glory and your grace. And we just say that we want to sit with you. We want to be with you. And as we open the word, God, would the eyes of our hearts be enlightened. Let us be able to hear the truth because the truth will set us free. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody shout it. Amen. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. We're good. We don't need the cymbals. I love the cymbals, though. I'm a drummer, so I like cymbals. Our passage today, uh, John 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12, again, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. Before my wife and I lived here in Austin, we, we lived in Waco, and um, as, yeah, shout out 254, um, as it often goes, whenever one of us leaves town, something breaks at the house. Has anybody else had this gift where whenever I leave town, then the car decides it doesn't want to work, right? So this is one of those moments. I'm in Tijuana, Mexico, actually, with my son, Tate. Liz calls me. We're almost home. And she was like, hey, the van won't start. 
And I'm like, all right, well, we'll be home really, really soon. Yo, can you get around? She's like, yeah, 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 I'm going to borrow my grandmother's car. Cool, cool, cool. So I, I get home, and I'm thinking, this is simple. It won't start. It's the battery, right? All I got to do is jump it off, take it to AutoZone, change the battery. We'll be good to go. But the house we lived in, the garage, was not connected to the house. And to really call it a garage is, is a bit of a faith statement. It, it was more of like a shack that you could park in. There was no garage doors. There was no electricity. It kind of, if you looked at it straight on, it kind of had a little bit of a rightward lean to it. And so I pulled our other car next to the van that wouldn't start and opened up the hoods. And there's no lights in there, right? It's dark. And I can't see on the battery which side is positive or negative on the van, right? And I can see it in the car, but not in the van. And so I think, oh, yo, I'm too busy. I can't go inside and get a flashlight. I'm just going to use reasoning skills. This car's a Toyota, positive, negative. The van's a Toyota, positive, negative. So I just blind faith plugged it in, started the car, and within seconds, the garage is filling with smoke. The plastic around the cables is literally dripping off, okay? So I'm looking at smoking copper cables. It's now melting the car, okay? So it's like, so I'm like, ah! So I get like a stick, and I start throwing sticks, trying to pop off the, the thing is connected to the battery, right? And I'm grabbing anything, finally get a hold of a stick and it slams it off, boom, and the cable falls onto the motor completely and just like, just starts melting. You know how motors don't, aren't motors anymore? It's like a plastic sheet over it. It just starts melting all the way through it. So then I take the stick and pull the cable off. And now my car will start, but everything is backwards. It's like you roll down the window and the windshield wipers come on. You know, like you turn the radio on and the windows go down. Like everything, it was just like confused. It was running, but it, it was, everything was backwards because I had reversed the polarity in, in the van by, by doing this. So now I have to get the car towed because when I put it in reverse, it went forward. And I was like, all right, I don't, I don't want to play this game trying to drive it to the mechanic. So I have to now tow the car, it gets to the mechanic, and you know, the first thing they ask you is, so what happened, right? So now, like with the tail between my legs, I'm telling the guy, well, you know, I, it was dark, you know? And I'm trying to like make all these excuses, like, well, you know, I couldn't see, whatever. And the dude, is, he's a professional. He's doing everything that he can to not show me that in his mind, he's going like, really, bro? Like, really? And, and so... Finally, we, we have to get the whole thing reprogrammed. It's like you had to send it somewhere. It was a total mess. But here's the best part. Every 3,000 miles when I had to get the oil changed in that van, I had to retell the story. Because every time they would pop the hood, they would look, and then they would do this, like without fail. What happened? And I would have to retell the story. Well, there was this time, right? I was so stoked to sell that van. Like, I was like, praise God. That horrible memory of reversing the polarity is now you're, you have to explain what happens whenever you get your oil changed. Here's the deal. You know what? Light would have saved me time, money, and shame. 
All I needed to do was get a flashlight. All I needed to do was take 30 seconds, go inside, get a flashlight, because everything is easier in the light. Everything is easier in the light. Genesis 1, the first thing that God spoke into existence was light. It said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, I looked out how fast light goes. Check it out. 299,792,458 meters per second. That's how fast light travels. So from the moment that God spoke, let there be light, that was a violent disruption to darkness. Light came shooting out of the mouth of God at about 300 million meters per second, and it displaced darkness. Hear me, light always wins. Light always wins. God had to separate light from dark, or it would always be light. Because light is more powerful than dark. How many of you a couple weeks ago lost power in the ice storm? Not that many of us. Everybody lives on the hospital grid? <laughs> I get so pissed off when people are like, oh, no, we didn't lose power. We live on the hospital grid. I'm like, screw you. <laughs> I lost power as it, I was having one of those moments, again, just being reminded why I don't live in Michigan. If you're from Michigan, there's a reason you live here. It was cold. It was cold in my house. Here's what I learned. One small candle can light up my entire living room. Why? Because light always wins. Light is more powerful than darkness. It does not take a lot of light to displace a lot of dark. And when Jesus declared, I'm the light of the world, he was declaring victory over the darkness that's in the world. Now that the light has come, the darkness has to flee because light consumes darkness. Listen to 1 John 5. This is the message we've heard from him, speaking of Jesus, and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light. Who is God? He is pure light. There's nothing shady or tainted or cloudy about who he is. He's light. There's no darkness in him at all. Now let's go on to verse six. It's about to get real, so I need everybody to put their big boy pants on. Are you ready? If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the dark, we lie. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. 
verse 6 and 7 is what I like to call a truth tension that we live in. When we give ourselves to Jesus, we start walking in the light. Jesus, the light of the world, comes, replaces the darkness that is in us with the power of his grace and his forgiveness. And then there is a process that begins in us that is called sanctification. And what that means is that when the lights get turned on in our life, it exposes the mess that our soul is in as we have lived in darkness and in sin. And sanctification is the process of cleaning up all that sin has messed up. It's the process of unlearning some things that we've picked up living without God as we are learning to live with God. To be sanctified means to be set apart for a purpose and to be made holy. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you how to live in order to please God. As in fact you are living, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. There is a way that we as followers of Jesus live. Let me set, let, let that just kind of hang in the air for a bit. There is a way that as followers of Jesus, that we are to live. Now, for some of us, you're like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't want anybody to tell me how to live. I want to live how I want to live. I want to do what I want to do. And to quote Pastor, or not Pat, well, he kind of is Pastor, Pastor Ryan, who preached last week, um, you're going to need a different shepherd. Because our shepherd the good shepherd has instructions for us on how we should live in order to please God. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want to do. So let me, did you hear that? So that you are not to do whatever you want, but you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Everybody say obvious. obvious. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery. No one's going to be shocked by this list. Idolatry, witchcraft, hated, discord. Uh, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is how we live. We're to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And we do that by crucifying our flesh and all its passions and desires. Crucify means we got to kill it. 
You have to smash it, and we do that by staying connected to the vine, the life source, the spirit of the living God. Because, again, 1 John, verse 5, 1 John 5, verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in darkness, we lie. We lie, and we do not live out the truth. Even though the light is on in my soul, it is my responsibility every day to make sure that I'm keeping that lamp lit. Because light and dark are in conflict with one another. The flesh and the spirit are waging war, a war that God has already won, and in him there is power for the darkness that is in me to be defeated by the light that is in me as I'm being transformed into the likeness of God. Light always wins. So we have to crucify our flesh daily. Yes, salvation is one and done. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you're boom, you're bought with the price. Your name's written in the Lamb Book of Life. You, you, you have been saved and sealed, but our sanctification, our process of being made holy and learning how to live with the light that is within us is never done. 2 Corinthians 3 and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Learning to live with the light is intentional. And as soon as we stop being intentional about living with the light, darkness is coming to steal what the light is doing. We have to be intentional. We see this happen in King David's life when in a moment, although he had fellowship with God, he walked in darkness and did not live out the truth. 2 Samuel 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabath. But David remained in Jerusalem. Verse two, one evening David got up out of his bed, walked around the roof of his palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her, and the man said she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. And the story gets worse. Bathsheba ends up get, becoming pregnant. And David, to hide what he has done, he calls her husband back from the war that he should have been fighting himself. And he says, hey, look, I heard you've been doing a great job. Why don't you just sleep with your wife so that then he would think that maybe this child that she is with is his Child, but Uriah was a good man filled with character. And he said, look, if none of my fellow soldiers can enjoy their wives, I'm not going to enjoy mine. And so he slept outside of his own house. So David, to hide from the shame of what he had done, to try to bury the consequences of his actions when he did what he wanted to do and not what he was called to do. He said, you know what, I'm going to send you back to the front lines knowing 
that he would lose his life. So in a moment, David goes from being a warrior king, a man after God's own heart, to a man who slept with another man's wife and then had that man killed so that he didn't have to face the shame of what he had done. David knew God. David knew God. He walked with him. He was anointed by him to lead the people of God into all that God had called them to do and to be on the earth. But in the spring, when the kings went off to war, David stayed home. Here's what that means in our language. David stopped doing what he was made to do and he started doing what he wanted to do. David stopped doing what he was made to do and he started doing what he wanted to do. And don't forget that as soon as we stop being intentional about living with the light and in the light, darkness is coming to steal what the light is doing. David did not just throw away everything that he was living for, believing in, out of the blue. It started with him saying, I don't need to do what I'm made to do. That's where it started. I don't need to be obedient to my calling. I don't need to pay attention to the the light that is within me. I just need to relax. I need to hang back. It's been a long year. And what was waiting for him in the shadows? Temptation. The temptation we encounter in life does not come to us when we are in the light. It comes to us when we're flirting with the shadows. In the moments in our life when we're not living in the light, when we stop doing what we're made to do and we start doing what we want to do, that's where we encounter our Bathshebas. That's when we see Bathsheba bathing on the roof. We don't see her at Jesus' hour. Never seen Bathsheba there. I don't see Bathsheba at Life Group. I don't see Bathsheba bathing on the roof on a mission trip. I, I, we don't see her when we're living on purpose with the purpose in our office. If you're going to work with the intention to see God do what only God can do in you and through you, right? Because we're all living on mission. We're all missionaries called to Austin, Texas to see the kingdom of God advance in our day. That's why we're here. That's why you work where you work. You're not just pulling a check and spending time Monday to Friday. God put you there to see the kingdom of heaven come there. And when you're living on purpose for a purpose, you don't see Bathsheba bathing on the roof. We see Bathsheba when we stop doing what we're made to do and, stop do, and start doing what we want to do. Temptation shows up in the shadows. Doesn't show up in the light. Jesus is the light of the world. In him, there is no darkness at all. So that tells me that when I am in him, there is no darkness at all. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If I'm tempted in any way to look at something I shouldn't, say something I shouldn't, buy something I shouldn't, right? Say something I shouldn't. There's a part of me that is not in the light. 
The temptation flirts in the shadows, and I beat that temptation not with inner strength, not with willpower, but by coming back to the light. You can use temptation as a weapon against your temptation. Did you know this? You can be like, oh, I'm feeling tempted. I must be walking not in the light. Lord, show me where I need to step into the light. Don't get scared of your temptation. Get fired up about it. Like, oh, you're going to tempt me? I'm going to use that against you, enemy. I'm going to say, look, you're, you're allowing me to see that there's some shadowiness going on in my heart. I need to come to the light so that the light can displace the darkness because temptation does not hang out in the light. It only hangs out in the shadow. So if I'm dealing with temptation, then it is an invitation for me to surrender more to Jesus, the light of the world. There's a few times in college, I've shared this, I'm really in college, I was trying to win the war in my mind. Because from age 13 to 19, I had filled my mind with as much trash as possible. I was a great disciple of trash. I was faithful to fill my mind with trash. And when the light got turned on in my soul and I saw the state of who I had become because of the impact of sin in my life, the process of me unlearning what I had spent ages 13 to 19 studying was a fight. The flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. And here's what I learned very quickly. If I got hit with some weird, crazy, perverted thought, I am not going to beat that thought by thinking, don't think about it. That does not work at all. You're like, oh, dang it, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it. And then all of a sudden, it's the only thing you're thinking about, and you're like, dang it, dang it, you know, and you're just stuck. It's like telling a little kid, hey, look, all right, we're teaching you how to ride a bike. All right, just look, there's nothing but road in front of you. You got that one tree over there. Just don't hit that tree, and you're good, and you send your kid off, you know, and they're just like straight for the tree. As they're thinking, don't hit the tree, don't hit the tree, don't hit the tree, and they hit the tree, right? Because what you focus on, you actually will hit. So we don't beat temptation. We don't beat these weird things that come into our minds by being like, oh, dang it, don't think about that. We have to change our focus. You have to change your focus and say, okay, all right, I'm, I'm gonna replace that thought with the truth of the word of God. And I used to keep little, I called them my Chinese stars, man. I kept them in my back pocket because if the Bible is the sword of the spirit, I would write the scripture on these little note cards. I'd be like, my Chinese star, man. Just one at a time. <laughs> and I'd be walking around campus, you know, and like I'd start thinking about something stupid or like be reminded of some horrible preferred thing or just like, ah. And I'm just like, ah. And I would just like whip out my Chinese stars. And I would just start reading the scripture, man. Just filling my mind with the scripture, not trying to beat the thought, surrendering to the light who is bigger than the thought. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We can beat temptation when we stop fighting temptation and surrender to the light of the world. 
oftentimes we feel stuck because we're like, I can't do it. You are not strong enough to fight against your sexual urges. Can I just say that? You are not strong enough. You are not strong enough to fight against the rage that you sometimes feel because of how you were treated. You are not strong enough to forgive in your own strength people who have wronged you and hurt you and left you and beat you and abused you. There is not enough strength in you. There is not, but there is enough strength in him. There, the, he is where we get what we need to be able to see freedom from the things that are trying to destroy our minds. We say, I need to get in the light. I need to turn the lights on. God, I need to, I need to turn the light on in my mind, and I'm going to do that by leaning in to the Word of God and just quoting Scripture. And I'll never forget one day. Like, it just, it happened automatically. Man, this was like a war. This was a war. It's like every day I just felt like, you know, and like when you're really trying to walk in freedom for the first time, that first couple of months, you're just like, I don't know if I could do it. Is anybody alive this morning? Did y'all deal with temptation? Are y'all all good? Okay, because I had to fight for some freedom in my life, man. And it felt like a fight. And you're like, I don't know if I could do it another day. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I can make it. And I'll never forget, man, I'm just having one of those days where I'm just feeling just the weight of just the, oh, dang it. Sanctification is hard. Unlearning some of the lessons that I had spent my whole life learning up to then was hard. Unlearning some places that my brain would just go when I felt insecure and realizing it doesn't need to go there, it actually needs to go here, that's hard. Learning to deal with like the normal human experience through the lens of the spirit and not the lens of the flesh is hard. And you're like, ah, I don't know if I could... And I'll never forget, man, I'm walking across campus and I saw like a pretty girl and my 19-year-old mind used to just be like, trouble. And I'll never forget, it was just all of a sudden I was like, nah, I do not live by every word. I couldn't even say the scripture, you know, but I'm just like, Lord, I just know that you're God. And And I literally walked into class and I was like, yes! It's like the first time I was like, I took it to him, man. And I didn't even know the Bible. But I knew enough. I knew enough. Man, when we get hit with temptation, don't think the only out is to surrender to it and then to repent of it. No, run to the light. Let the light of the world come. We're not strong enough, but he is. And where there is light, there is no darkness at all. There is no darkness at all. John 8 is where I started, where Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. Before Jesus declared that, he demonstrated it. Because John 8 verse 1 the woman who was caught in adultery is brought to Jesus as he is beginning to teach in the temple. And the religious leaders throw this woman at Jesus' feet. 
They're like, hey, the law says that we should stone her. What do you say? Jesus demonstrates that the kingdom of heaven is about restoration. It's not about destruction. And he bends down. And I I oftentimes think about this because when I do anything wrong, I really deal with shame. You know, like shame will make you only want to look at the dirt. You don't want to look at anybody. You get caught doing something, you're just like, dang it, man. So you know that this woman was just staring at the dirt that's in front of her. Jesus bends down next to her. And he looks at her before she can even have grace to look at him. And then as he's looking at her, he says, hey, anybody who hasn't, thrown, hasn't sinned, why don't you throw the first stone? And people begin to peel off and I, Oftentimes, think in our culture, we need to hear that. We're, we're pretty quick to throw some stones when people fall. Jesus looks at the woman and he said, where are those who have accused you? For the first time, she looks up. She's like, they're not here. And says, Jesus stands up. He says, I don't condemn you either. He says, go and sin no more. You know what he said? The light has been turned on in you now. So don't go back to the shadow. And then Jesus said, I am the light of the world. What is the light of the world? The light of the world is a light that disrupts sin and death, restores us, heals us, and then sends us to live in the light. When Jesus declared, I'm the light of the world, he declared, I win over the darkness that's in you, over the darkness that's in the world. And the light of the world is a restorer, not a destroyer. He restored David, who blew it. The consequences of his sin were real, but he encountered the grace of God and was restored. This woman who was caught in adultery was restored. She left her life of sin and she started walking in the light. The invitation for us is to come to the light this morning. To very simply come to the light. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time, come to the light. Because in him there is no darkness at all. And if you've been dealing with a war, you've got a battle in your mind, you've got this, you feel that struggle between the flesh and the spirit waging within you. Man, you just need to come to the light. Don't try to get stronger. Get brighter. Get get more of the, the light on you.
Because when the light's on you, there's no darkness that can be around you. Because light always wins. Stand to your feet. We're going to have some of our team here up on the front. Man, if you need prayer for anything this morning, I don't want you to leave without getting it. And specifically, there's a few of you that are dealing with the repercussions of flirting in the shadows in your life. And you need to, with confidence and with courage, make your way to the front here and say, I am leaving the shadows and I'm stepping in to the light. And you need to experience the restoration of heaven, the same restoration that restored David, the same restoration that restored that woman, the same restoration that restored all of us the light of life. King Jesus is here not to destroy you, but to restore you, not to condemn you, but to save you. So as we worship, man, if you need prayer, if you need to respond, come on up here. We'll, we'll just, we're just gonna hang out in the spirit of God for a little bit. Lord, we love you. We're asking right now, Lord, that you would overwhelm us with the light of life, that we would encounter you, Lord, because in you there's no darkness at all. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. And we say, Lord, we're not strong enough, we're not tough enough, but you are. And we can come to you and receive what we need in Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing.